2: Previously, on Cryptid Cape.
3: Everything is peaceful in Water's Edge. I think
1: you would be an excellent teacher to help Juliet pursue an independent study program in journalism. That would be so cool.
2: Bluff has been oddly silent.
1: Any way you interpret this, Bluff clearly needs our help.
0: My name is Reese. It's nice to meet you, Avra.
1: I'm Sybil. You must be the folks from Water's Edge. Avra, it's me. I'm your twin. Avra, tell them. You're a cryptid. I'm not. So you lied to me about being human to get close to me.
0: Leave this island immediately. This
1: is my last warning. Give us a year to clean up our act. If it's still not up to par, you can move your fish somewhere else forever and let the town die. But if we're improving, then you can give us a chance to fix our mistakes to continue improving.
0: I will return some fish to you and stop the earthquakes.
4: We will see what results.
1: Lucinda offered me an internship position, but it's for three months, in Bluff. Honesty and openness, 100%. Once we have that, we can see where things take us.
3: I like that idea. Me too. It's an email from another cryptid town. They've been exposed. Welcome to town. Did that really just happen? Speak
2: of the devil. Oh, wait, that's me. But That doesn't matter. What matters is keeping you safe.
1: Oh, boy, here we go.
3: <laughs> Season 3, Episode 1, Homecoming. Everything is crowded and water's edge. I've never seen a summer here, but the population influx we've seen over the last few months makes it feel like it's already beach season. I mean, it's still freezing, and most of the residents aren't bothering with disguises, but some of the serenity I came to appreciate about small cryptid towns has gone by the wayside. The Comerlock refugees are nice and all, and it's been interesting meeting so many new cryptids. The first few refugees started arriving in mid-January, and since then we've had a steady flow into town. It's been chaos in Town Hall with everyone there trying to figure out where to house the newcomers and making sure they're all familiar with anti-human protocols around here. Roger pops into my office two or three times a week now just to get away from it all. The latest issue they're running into is finding a way to financially support everyone. Not everyone from Comerlock is leaving, just those who are deemed high-exposure risk cryptids. That was a whole thing, figuring out what high risk meant. It boiled down to who can pass as human versus who can't, and it makes sense on paper, sure, but when you try to tell a family of cryptids who have never once exposed their true forms outside of town that they have to leave their home for an undetermined amount of time, it gets a little more complicated. Not everyone who's leaving is coming here, either. Sybil said they're getting some refugees in Bluff, and the other towns are accepting a few as well. But we seem to be getting the most, since we're one of three English-speaking cryptid Cape Towns. That's, and we have the infrastructure to deal with the summer population increase, so we've got the space to house Comorlachians. At least for a little while. The last group is flying in today. According to the board, they'll be landing in an hour or so, so around 10.30 tonight. Roger called me earlier today panicking because his airport shuttle driver got the flu. So of course I volunteered Francie and myself to fill in. I mean, we were coming here anyway.
0: All right, let's just hope Lizzie's okay with her grand entrance back to Water's Edge being in a mini school bus.
3: We'll let her sit in the front. It'll be fine.
1: The front? I thought the back of the bus was where everyone wanted to be. But we didn't have buses in Bluff, but in the movies, all the cool kids always sat in the back. <laughs>
0: Wow, your nerdiness has been exposed, Avra. Might be worse than your humanness, actually. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I am be a nerd, but at least I know how to drive the damn bus, unlike somebody who insisted they could. I didn't know, it was so weird. I thought it would be like an SUV with an extra long
0: ass.
1: Would that have made it any better? You barely drive as it is.
0: Why well, have to spend a bunch of money on a car when I can walk most places and I have you guys to shuttle me around everywhere else? Besides, I think there's some more- Attention passengers of flight AA-1378 from Juneau to Philadelphia. Your baggage will be available at Concourse B. To repeat, flight AA-1378, baggage will be located at Concourse B.
3: That's Lizzie's flight. They landed already?
0: I didn't think they were due for another- Nice! Lizzie,
3: welcome home. Oh my god, I missed you guys so much! Oh, I couldn't tell by the death grip. (laughs) sorry! I just... Oh, I can't believe I'm really home! After all the work we've been doing, organizing the refugees and fixing up Bluff, it doesn't feel like a whole three months went by. But sometimes it does feel like way longer. I, I, I don't know. Chaos sure makes you lose track of time. Yeah. Just so much to do with the exposure. It was good experience, but man, it was exhausting. What's it been like here? Similar. Things are starting to calm down as people get settled, but Roger's been... a lot, to put it nicely.
0: Yeah, we're trying to double the population of Water's Edge in the matter of a couple of months without mainland towns getting suspicious. I mean, I don't blame him for stressing out. Me
1: either, I just wish I could help him chill. Yeah. I'm sure Dr. Irani would have something to recommend
3: if Roger would actually come to Henrietta. I should just drag him along during lunch on Friday, make him a third wheel for his own good. Oh, how fun inviting your
1: boss along for our lunch date. <laughs> Wait,
3: you two are actually talking about going on real
1: dates? I was only gone three months. A lot can happen in three months.
0: Yeah, like becoming the ultimate third wheel. Oh, you said it didn't bother you. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Besides, now that Lizzie's home, we can go back to being third and fourth wheels together.
1: At that point, I think we're just a car. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Speaking of cars, should we get my bags and head out? Actually, we're going to have to wait around a little bit longer. We've got to pick up the last group of Comerlochians. They land in about 45 minutes.
0: We've got a bus.
3: That Francie
1: lied about knowing how to drive.
3: Oh, I've seen France
0: drive a bus before. Scariest four minutes of my life. Okay, it wasn't that bad.
3: You know it was. Come on, I should grab my bags before someone throws them in the lost and found. Lizzie was exhausted after her long day of flights and layovers, so once we dropped off the dozen or so Comerlock residents at their temporary housing, she fell asleep across one of the bus seats. We brought her home, and Ben helped us get her and her bags inside. She asked to hang out today after Francie and I got off work, but I don't know if she was awake enough to even remember our conversation. Either way, I'm sure I'll see her at some point. I just wanted to get some rest first. We've got a lot of work to get through before then, though. It's Friday, March 7th, so a new issue came out today. Normally I wouldn't have to worry about writing stuff for next week yet, but Roger's got me pulling double duty right now. He signed me to his special project, creating an archive of stories from the Comerlochians detailing the exposure. He thinks that if we can gather information from the citizens and make a record of what happened, we can prevent it from happening again. First-hand accounts of something so earth-shattering to the cryptid community is important to document. Plus, it gives me a chance to connect with Comerlockians that I can write feature stories on, as well as a chance for them to talk out their feelings on the exposure. I know it hasn't been easy for them. I'm no Dr. Julius, of course, but I hope providing them a space to talk about what happened is helpful for processing it all. And hey, at least after being interviewed, they'll know one person in town. Of course, I'm the one person that can't really relate to them, but they don't know that. I think this interview might be a bit tougher, though. It's with Hudson Kerr, and from what Roger said, Hudson was a bit closer to the actual exposure than everyone else. He's staying at the Breezy Lee Motel. Oh, shoot. Was it room 6 or 16? Uh, Something's telling me 6. Hello. Hi, are you Hudson Kerr?
5: That's me, yeah. You must be that reporter Roger said was coming by.
3: Uh, that's me, Avernuñez. It's nice to meet you.
5: Can't say the same. Um, I'm sorry? How would you feel if a reporter was going to break the news that you were the one who fucked over your town, hmm? And I can't even decline or throw us out in the street.
3: Oh, no, sir. It's nothing
5: like that. Pun. I'm not- stop tottering this poor girl. You know not everyone is out to get you. Are they? Just watch. She'll write some scathing report on me that says that I was the one who exposed Comerac and- You were the one to expose Comerac. I spoke to that man, Roger, and he promised there wouldn't be any salacious story written. Just the facts. Isn't that right, Miss Avra?
3: Absolutely. I'm not here to interrogate you. I just want to hear what really happened.
5: I think everyone does. He hasn't even told me. I'm Otto, by the way. Hudson's husband. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Now, Hudson, sweetie, will you let this woman talk to you so we can put all this to rest already? But everyone will- Stop assuming what everyone will do. You're a griffin, not a mind reader. I'm going to run to the grocery store, so just talk to the women. If you get it off your chest, maybe you won't be so tense. Fine. Thank you. I'll be back in a bit. Love you. Love you too. Well, come on in. Make yourself at home.
3: Uh, lots lots of art for a motel.
5: We brought those with us. We weren't really sure how long we'd be here, and I didn't want to lose them. They're beautiful. My mother painted them. She was a big fan of Bob Ross, watched him so much she got really good at it. She was a griffin too, of course, and had a seamstress fashion a backpack to hold a small easel, some paints, and canvas. Every Sunday, bright and early, she'd pack up her paints and fly somewhere new in the wilderness near Colmarac, and just paint the day away.
3: That sounds amazing.
5: Yeah. Amazing she never got caught, too. Unlike my dumbass.
3: Uh, so you said your mother lived in Comerlock. Did you live there your whole life? I did. And your parents? Transplants. Uh, where from?
5: Is that really what you want to know?
3: Well, I want to know about you.
5: Oh, come on. We both know why you're here. You don't give a shit about me. You want the juicy details of how I fucked over my hometown, right?
3: I, I thought we could start with getting to know each other.
5: We're faffing around. The story's what you're here for, so let's get on with it. I'm a textile manufacturer. I own a factory in the town about 20 miles away from Comrack, and I've had it since I was 28. I'm 54 now. It's a small operation, making specialty fabrics for upholstery, handmade clothes, quality stuff like that. Not that cheap shit you get at the malls or department stores. You following?
3: Uh, yes. Uh, what's the name of your company?
5: Stevenson & Kerr. My partner, business partner, not Otto. Her family name is Stevenson. We went to school together back in the day. Good friends and better business partners. Great woman, truly. Unfortunately, can't say the same for her husband. Not giving you their first names, though. Bad for business.
3: Oh, of course, that's fine.
5: You're gonna look them up anyway, aren't you?
3: I I don't have to include them in the story if you don't want- Not
5: like that's the part people are gonna hate me for, right? Her name is Felicity. She and I trusted each other with everything, and I do mean everything. She was well aware I was a cryptid. Maybe it was dumb trusting a human that much. I
3: don't think it's dumb.
5: Oh, really? Must have your own Felicity, then.
3: (laughs) Something like that.
5: Well, you best be getting them a mind wipe fast. they will only lead to trouble.
3: So, Felicity exposed you?
5: God, no. She would never. I got too comfortable being around her in my true form. Normally, I drive my commute to the factory, but during the winter, the roads are terrible. When it started getting icy this season, Felicity suggested I fly instead. I can't just fly straight through a human town, though, so... She picked me up and dropped me off at an old Runtown gas station at the edge of town. It was great, for a while. And then that thick-headed husband of hers got it in his mind that we were having an affair. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, Felicity is a beautiful woman, but Otto's the only person for me. That wasn't good enough for that jealous son of a bitch. So he tailed us to our meeting spot one night and saw the whole thing. Next thing you know, we got Stevenson and his goon squad rolling up to the outer edge of town, demanding to see the flying lion beast. Our security gotten so lax, no one drives up to Comrag in the winter. Maybe if we had a warning and people could have put on disguises or... I don't know.
3: They couldn't get their minds wiped?
5: There had to be like 40 or 50 of them. It's like a goddamn militia. We couldn't get all of them. Just imagine how much worse it would be if we started grabbing some and the others got away to report missing persons. After that, we all tried to put on our disguises, if we even had them, and pretend like nothing had even happened. But it was everywhere. Humans were coming from all over the place to investigate the claims of crazy, terrifying monster creatures in a little town in Scotland. Cormorlach was fucked from the minute that idiot saw me take down my disguise. And I'm the one who fucked it.
3: Well, thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure that
5: wasn't easy. It does feel kind of cathartic. I just feel so guilty. Stupid. I'm 54, I've been disguising myself all my life. But you slip up once.
3: For what it's worth, I don't think the townsfolk are angry. And if they are, I I think they'll forgive you.
5: Why wouldn't they be? People have to flee their homes, families are being split apart. All because I didn't want to drive to work.
3: I think you just got unlucky. It could have happened to anyone.
5: Maybe. I don't know.
3: Well, I don't want to disturb you more than I already have, so I can head on out.
5: Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Didn't you say you wanted background information or something?
3: Uh, that would be helpful, but I don't wanna. It's
5: fine. Can't write a story without all the facts, right? Very true. Then sit back down. You want some tea? Also, brought some of the good stuff. I oh, know that shitty motel powder.
3: <laughs> yeah, tea sounds great.
2: Hello. Anybody home? In here. Avra! There you are. Where's Clover gone off to?
3: I don't know. I think she said something about meeting with a hotel owner.
2: Ah, yes. Probably working out some more placements for our newest conmolocians.
3: They haven't all been housed yet?
2: Not quite. We have a few groups staying in empty guest bedrooms around town for the time being.
3: Oh. I've got an extra room. I can house some people if you want.
2: No, no, Avra. You're you're already doing plenty. What with the interviews and keeping up with the regular publishing schedule? You even drove the bus yesterday.
3: Oh, it's fine. I'm happy to help. And having a few guests over shouldn't affect my work too much, don't worry.
2: I think you underestimate how hard it is to work around guests. Either way, it isn't necessary. I'm sure Clover will have struck a deal with another hotel and gotten some rooms for the stragglers within the next day or two.
3: Alright, if you say so. What'd you come by for, just looking for Clover?
2: Actually, I was wondering how today's interview went. Probably wasn't the easiest conversation to have.
3: That's what I thought too, walking into it, but it went really well. Hudson's a nice guy. He was nervous at first, but I don't blame him. I think he warmed up to me by the time I left, though.
2: Then he gave you enough details.
3: Yeah, I'm writing it up for the incident records now. It'll take longer to turn into an article, of course. I want to be careful about how I say everything.
2: You always are. What you got in the bag? Oh, uh, it's nothing. Actually, just, uh, here. For you. Uh,
3: is this, is this a pair of elf ears?
2: Oh, and this.
3: A white wig. Roger, what is this? Halloween was like five months ago.
2: It's not for Halloween. Although I did find them in my stash of costume supplies. The ears, not the wig. I bought that. Why? For you to wear, it so the new folks don't get suspicious.
3: <laughs> so you think some latex and a party city wig is gonna convince people I'm, what, Legolas?
2: <laughs> this is serious. The Comorlachians can't find out you're human.
3: I know, but keeping it a secret hasn't been much of a problem yet.
2: Maybe not here in Water's Edge, but look at your time in Bluff. You almost had a mom after you.
3: That's a bit of an exaggeration.
2: Avril. I know, since you moved here, you've become very comfortable existing with cryptids, and the people of Water's Edge have accepted you with no question. That's just how our town is, but that's not how they all are. Many cryptids don't disguise themselves in Cape Towns, and the fact that we do for a whole tourist season is strange to them. Hell, I even heard someone whispering about Francie the last time I was in hot bean water.
3: What'd they say about Francie?
2: grumbling about how it's not natural to be in disguise so often or some nonsense.
3: So you agree that it's nonsense?
2: Of course. I think every cryptid should be able to wear or not wear their disguises freely without judgment, but that doesn't matter. What matters is keeping you safe.
3: But there are cryptids that look totally normal. What about Lizzie
2: or Juliet? That's the thing. They look human, but they exhibit their powers pretty regularly. Any calm locking, you could ask what Lizzie is and get an answer. If they start asking about you, though, no one in Water's Edge has an answer, or worse, people give conflicting answers.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I appreciate the effort, Roger, and I know I have to be careful. I'm gonna be honest, though, if anyone saw me in these, I think it'd convince them 100% that I'm a fraud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I'm just worried about you, Avra, that's all. I know. Could you wear a fake token, at least? A token? A disguise token, like the rest of us wear. We're not listening the other day when I said we need to place a new token order.
3: Roger, you come in here almost every day and vent for like an hour. I love the company, but I've got to multitask or the issues would never come out on time.
2: Fair. Well, tokens are little personal items we all wear that hold the cloaking magic that keeps us hidden. I don't exactly know how it works, but it does. Mine is this necklace here. If I take it off... I lose my disguise.
3: But a token wouldn't do anything
2: for me. It doesn't have to. As long as people see something that could be your token, they'll think it is. Huh. Here we go. How about this? A ring? Yeah. I found it at a thrift store the other day. Knew I was buying it for some reason. It's clean, don't worry.
3: Roger, this is too nice. I could just get a piece of costume jewelry or
2: plastic. No. It should be nice, that's the point. You can't imbue cheap stuff with the kind of strong magic it takes to cloak a cryptid. This will convince everyone.
3: Okay. Thanks.
2: Thank me, by wearing it.
3: (laughs) Roger really thought elf ears was a great disguise? I wouldn't say that. I think he's just paranoid, which isn't very surprising. (laughs)
1: It's sweet of him. I'm sure he feels some responsibility over you, being that he's the one who got you to stay in town. It wasn't all him. At the beginning it was. That and his job offer. You sure were desperate. Hey, maybe I was,
3: but if I hadn't been, we would have never met.
1: Very true. Guess I should be pretty thankful that past you took a job under her abilities, despite the cryptid-infested town.
3: Wait, you think my job's not good for me?
1: No, hun. I think it's a great job for you, and you're amazing at it. I also think you're overqualified, though.
3: It's not like there's many higher positions for journalism in Water's Edge, though.
1: I know. I'm just saying. More wine? Yeah, sure.
3: So, uh, what should we watch tonight? Why are not we going to watch the Star Wars prequels or something? Oh, right. I still can't believe you haven't seen them. But are you too tired? They're kind of long.
1: Uh, Yeah, a bit. These extra-long shifts are tough. I feel bad saying it, but this was the absolute worst time for Elaine to retire. And now, Kelly's on maternity earlier than expected. Do you know when it'll die down? When the Kamralakians leave? Or when we get a new nurse or two? Hopefully one of the refugees has a nursing degree and wants to work, or I'll never see you.
3: At least we have date night. Although I would prefer more of your time.
1: And I yours. You could always stay over.
3: It buys us some more time, although a good chunk of that time will be unconscious. That's true. <laughs> but I don't want to impose. It's not imposing, you're my significant other. I guess you're right.
1: Significant other sure is a mouthful, isn't it?
3: Kind of, but
1: I don't mind if you like it. It's, it's fine, but it's not my favorite. It feels a little clinical to me, honestly.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Something else, then. Maybe partner, date mate, lover. Oh, God, no!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who's calling you at 8.30 on a Friday? I thought Lizzie and Francie
3: read a movie. They should be. It's probably just a telemarketer or something. Now, I believe you mentioned something about Star Wars prequels.
1: Oh, boy, here we go.
3: it's Avra. I can't come to the phone right now but please leave a message and I'll call you back. Thanks! Avra, hey!
4: Sorry to bother you late and on a Friday, but I didn't want to wait until our Monday meeting. Have you ever heard of a book called Through the Cracked Glass? It's a fantasy novel by Salo He's a human author from the early 1900s. I found it while I was helping reshelve some library books during free period and it looked really old and kind of interesting. So I read a few pages and now I'm not so sure if it's fiction. The whole thing is about these towns full of strange mythical creatures and the history of those towns. It all sounds strangely similar to our real cryptid towns, even down to the years they were founded. He names them different things, but he also says at one point that he's changing the names to protect the town's citizens. I don't know, it could all be a big coincidence and it really is just a fantasy novel, but the way it's written really feels like it's a history book about the cryptid towns. I checked it out and kept reading it this evening. It's so strange how accurate it all is. The only things that seem out of the blue is mentions of some big magic system in an extra town. It's just really bugging me and I wanted to get your opinion on it. There's um, there's one other thing too that's been bugging me. Most of it is a history, but there's some future stuff too, well, future for the writer but present for us, and uh, well. He says that the end of all the towns is coming. And he says it'll be brought by you.
3: Thanks for listening to Season 3 of Cryptid Cape, Homecoming. The show is created and produced by me, Victoria Pereira. I also voice Abra.
0: The voice of Francie is Aubrey King.
1: The voice of Shia is Angelique Vespiccia. The voice of Lizzie is Christina Rose
5: Hargis. The voice of Hudson is Christopher Whiteford. The voice of Otto Kerr is Paul Reinbach.
2: The voice actor of Roger is Christopher Medina.
3: The voice of Juliet is Amy Acevedo. Our story editor is Jennifer Wong. Our cover artist is Christy Dupre. Our Foley artist is Isaac Rodriguez. Our transcriptionist is Rebecca Ryder. Our website designer is Kyle Boyer. Our theme song is Pink Night in Ohio by Ryan Anderson. The other songs used in this episode are Jukebox by Patrick Patrikios, After All by Geographer, Nidra in the Sky with Eiler by Jesse Gallagher, Water Lilies by Density and Time, and To Pass Time by Godmode. Thank you to our Indiegogo donors who made this season possible. Jim and Lorraine Pritchard, Lynn and Tony Pereira, Mike and Missy Imhoff, Amanda Acevedo, Cadicton, Marilyn Acevedo, Sierra Swan, Julia Hargis, Carrie Gibbs, David Russell, Alexandra, and BD. Be sure to subscribe to Cryptid Cape so you don't miss our next episode. We publish every two weeks. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at Cryptid Cape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for some fun bonus content. And check out our coffee page at ko ficom cryptidcape to donate to the show and get your own Crypted Cape sticker. Share this episode with friends or leave a review if you enjoyed it. It means the world. See you next time.